Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the From Ballparks to Buzzer Beer Sportscast. I'm your host, Perry Mortinos, and today we will be talking about the Boston Celtics and their NBA Finals loss. We will also be previewing the NBA offseason a little bit, uh, mostly relating to the Celtics, but some other big names that could be on the move, such as Kyrie Irving and uh, Zach Levine. Um, I also want to spend a little bit of the time towards the end of the episode discussing the Bruins because the Bruins did get, depending on how you're looking at it, a welcome or an unwelcome sight, um, some news back for the Bruins last night. But starting off with the Boston Celtics, their season ended in Game 6 of the NBA Finals with a 103-90 to loss to the Golden State Warriors. And there were a lot of factors that played the series, but just to run down why I don't think it's the defense. I, I said this with James last week ahead of game six, I believe. It may be, be, I think it was ahead of game six. I think we did after game five. But the Boston Celtics allowed 108 points, 107 points, 100, 107 points, 104 points, and 103 points. The Warriors never scored above 110 points. So when you're looking at that, I don't think the defense is the main culprit. Again, Steph Curry did have a great game in Game um, 6. He had 34 points. He had a great game in Game 4. He had 43 points. But at the end of the day, the defense wasn't the issue in my eyes in this game. However, you got to look at the offense, right? Because that's the next logical step. And you've got to, where you're starting in Game 6, you have to start with that second quarter. They, the Celtics came out buzzing. They were up 12-2 a minute and a half into this game. And then it just seemed to all fall apart. The Golden State Warriors went on a 21-0 run. A 21-0 run is ridiculous. Barely, basically unheard of, especially in the NBA Finals. And that really is something that shouldn't be happening in an elimination game. You shouldn't not score a point. I don't know how long the 21-0 run, but regardless, it was a 21-0 run. And then... The Warriors outscored the Celtics by 10 points in the second quarter. And although the Celtics battled back in the third quarter, they could never get within um, eight points. They got within eight, and then Jason Tam had an open corner three, passed it up, dribbled to the hoop, ended up turning the ball over. So that's where I want to start. I want to start with Jason Tatum. Obviously, did not have a good finals. Um, And he went out with a whimper, 6 of 18 shooting, which doesn't look bad on the surface. But 18 points, 5 turnovers, 7 assists. So again, I get that people are saying that he's impacting the game in other ways. But he's he's got to score the basketball. I mean, that's that's what his main job is here. As if he wants to be the best player on a championship team, which I think he can be. I think he's a top 10 player in the league right now. Any of those guys, I think Jochik, um Embiid, I think, is fringe top 10, but you saw Curry be the best player on the championship team. You've seen LeBron do it. Um, Anthony, I would put him ahead of a guy like Anthony Davis right now in the NBA rankings, per se, but you can't go out with a whimper in an elimination game. I think a lot of people were hoping that he did a repeat of the Bucks game six performance where he had 46 points. Um, I mean, 18 shots, I, can, I, can, I think 18 shots when he's not shooting the ball well is appropriate. Um, I just would have liked to see him score the ball more. I mean, 
you look at a guy like Jalen Brown, who had 34 points on 12 of 23 shooting, and he's not supposed to be the best player on this team. That's supposed to be Jason Tatum's job. And I don't know how many um, assists Tatum had to Brown. I don't know like that stat off the top of my head. I know Tatum had seven assists. But a guy like Jalen Brown went out there, and he said, I'm going to do everything I can to not let this team lose. And I think the only two guys that really did that were Brown and Al Horford, who had 19 and 14 in a great Game 6 performance. I think a guy like Marcus Smart didn't have a good game. Rob Williams, I thought, was okay. Um, I thought he was just... I thought I think okay is the perfect way to describe how he was. I mean, he had five blocks in this game. That's ridiculous. I mean, five blocks is just utterly ridiculous. And then, obviously... Um, the bench didn't show up. But I want to start with Tatum. We've already talked about his struggles. And I don't know if he was getting tired. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't really know what it is. But I've heard a couple people bring this up. Ahead of a, ahead of game six, right? Everybody's out on the floor warming up. Except for Tatum. Tatum shows up about... I would say 7 to 10 minutes late. I don't know if he's getting treatment. I don't know what he's doing. But I I didn't see him take probably more than 10 shots to warm up before the game. And I know that he's one of the best players in the world. But in an elimination game, I mean, I think that he's either got to come out earlier to get... I mean, he was obviously doing strength work and, resist, and working with a trainer and resistance bands and all that stuff. But... I would just like to see Tatum be a little bit more focused ahead of Game 6. And I think that's where the mental strength comes into play here. But at the end of the day, I think this should galvanize Tatum. I think he should come back. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Celtics start very, very hot next year. Um, But we're a, long, we're a long way ahead of October. But let's talk about what I thought that was the second biggest culprit in this game was the bench scoring. They really went into an eight-man rotation in the playoffs, right? It was your five stars, Tame Horford, Rob Smart, Brown. And then you had guys, Payne Pritchard, um, Grant Williams, and Derek White. And I know people... I, I don't think Marcus Smart had a, a good game, okay? He did not have a good game by any stretch. But that 21-0 run came when he was on the bench. And that's evident is plus-minus. Marcus Smart's plus-minus is plus-seven. Derek White is minus 26. Derek White and Peyton Pritchard were your two guards out there during the 21-0 run. Um, so we'll get into what I think this team can improve on later. But that's just something to keep in mind. I, Mark, I'm not defending Marcus Smart here because I still don't think he had a, bad, a good game. But the bench, the bench was a big piece of this. I mean, you look at a guy like Grant Williams who... Really had that Milwaukee series, especially that Game 7. And then I feel like he just kind of was gone. He played 16 minutes, 3 points. I don't know. And then Derek White. Derek White, after Game 3, was just not good. Um, game 1, he was awesome when they benched Marcus Smart. Um, I thought he was awesome in the Heat series. I think overall he had a good playoffs, but... I mean, he didn't show up in Game 5, he didn't show up in Game 6, and that really hurt this team. I mean, he only played 16 minutes, but those were some big 16 minutes that he played as those took, play, took place during the 21-0 run.
Another thing that I just want to mention here is the lack the lack of bench scoring hurt. Um, I think you've probably, if you're a Celtics fan, you've probably read all the analysis you want to of this game, and I'm not going to go, I'm only going to ramble on about Game 6 for a minute or so here. But if you're looking at this team right now, I feel pretty good about this team. They didn't show up in Game 6, but, I mean, I think the Warriors were a very good team. I thought the Warriors were great discipline. I thought Andrew Wiggins outplayed Jason Tatum for the entirety of the series. Um, we really thought it was going to be Steph Curry versus Tatum going head-to-head in terms of the best player versus best player. That wasn't even close. But then you... I mean, Andrew Wiggins, who was, I would say, probably third or fourth best player on this Golden State team, outplayed your best player, and I don't think it was particularly close. Um, Jamon Green had a great performance in Game 6. Um, 12 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists. Curry, 34 points, I already mentioned that, but also 7 rebounds and 7 assists. And then Game 6, Clay didn't really show up. He's 5 for 20 from the field, 12 points, but it, it really didn't matter because Jordan Poole came off the bench, 15 points, and once Jordan Poole got hot, I, I knew this was going to be a rough game for the Boston Celtics. But let's move on from Game 6 and look at this season as a whole. You already know the Celtics started 18-21. They're, they weren't looking good. They were completely out of the playoff picture, not even in the play-in tournament. Then they went on that run, end of the year. Um, from that point, they were 18-21. and 21. They went 33-10 and 10 the rest of the way. So that's a very, very good record. Obviously, that's not sustainable. But just looking at... At this season, this was a very, very good season. This was looked at as kind of a, um, I want to say like wait and see year. Um, the words are just not forming right now, but a a development developmental year where if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown couldn't play together, it might it, this off season we would be looking at and saying maybe we should trade one of them. Obviously, that's not going to happen anymore. And Ime Udoka had a great postseason as well um great season great coaching I I I'm not gonna to my own horn here but I was on the fire Brad Stevens train last year around the trade deadline and they did I didn't expect him to do a great job in the front office but he's he's did a really really great job Al Horford played well um Derek White really well I think for the Celtics You've got to look at guys like Aaron Smith, Sam Hauser. If those guys can step up, maybe make some shots, then a guy like Payne Pritchard might be expendable. He didn't shoot well in the finals. Um, he's a defensive liability. Although he holds his ground, he still is a defensive liability. But overall, great season from this Celtics team. The Boston Celtics have a lot to be excited about in the future if they can get back to another finals and if they can use this as... Um, as motivation, as for revenge next season, not let it hurt them like it has to some other young teams in the past, like that OKC team with Durant and Russell Westbrook. But heading into the NBA offseason, a lot of dominoes could fall. We've talked about 
Bradley Beal on this podcast um, for feels like a thousand years. Every every year, Bradley Beal to the Celtics comes up at least 500 times. Um, and he's eligible for a Supermax this year. If he doesn't sign it, then I think you can start thinking about that. But our, in the end, I think he's going to sign this. I think he's going to stick with Washington. And we already know how, we already know Jason Tatum's relationship with Bradley, Bradley Beal. We already know that they'll be a good fit. A shooting guard is kind of a shooting guard point guard is kind of what the Celtics need. Um, so we already know about Bradley Beal. If I were the Celtics, though, I would not play out of the realm of possibility of trading for Marcus. Trading Marcus Smart. He had a great season as the starting point guard of the team, but he's on an affordable contract. He just won Defensive Player of the Year, and he had a pretty good offensive season. His value is not going to be higher than right now. And I, I'm not saying they should trade him, but I'm saying if there's a larger deal to be made, like or to clear cap space, like if Kyrie ends up leaving and KD, um, I think if Kyrie leaves, KD is going to leave Brooklyn, and that would just look awful just an awful turn of events for the Brooklyn Nets that really started when Durant if Durant had just had his foot a couple inches back of the line they would be in the Bucks last year in the playoffs and I think it would be a whole nother story but that that demise has been nothing short of extraordinary but I mean if it's to clear cap space for Kevin Durant who almost came here in 2016 and say went to the Warriors the Celtics were his second choice I don't know I'm not opposed to trading Marcus Smart for a point guard that can do a little bit more. Maybe like a Mike Conley type guy in Utah. Um, I don't think um, Donovan Mitchell is going to be on the trade market, I think. We'll see there. I don't think they're going to go after a big fish. But Derek White is kind of a cheap man's Marcus Smart. I know he didn't have a great close to the season, but I think... I think he could step up in Marcus Smart's role and not do as good of a job as Marcus Smart, but do do a passable job. And if that leads to another player that comes aboard for this Boston Celtics team, I think Brad Stevens should explore it. But if you're the Celtics, I think your top priority are bench scoring. I think you need a 3 and D type guy. Really, Grant Williams is the only guy. Um, Payne Pritchard does the 3 part. He doesn't do the D part. So I think... Um, they need like a guy like Bobby Portis from the Bucks. I don't know exactly what's on the free agent uh, list, but if any one of these guys comes available, I think the Celtics should be looking at just guys that can possibly come on cheaper deals and play good defense and play good offense. And that could come from in-house too. Sam Hauser, Aaron Neesmith, those are the guys that I'm looking at. If Aaron Neesmith was touted as a shooter, elite shooter coming out of college, if he can rekindle that part of his game he's already played good defense in the league he's shown I think that could be a big addition in the Celtics team as well as Sam Hauser I know a lot of people in the organization are high on him um so we'll see if one or both of those guys pan out those would be great great additions for the Celtics team um point guard as well at least some I point guard is like kind of a luxury right now I think if you can get a better point guard, I think they should go for it. If you can't, you can't, and that's fine. But looking at the rest of the East, I think the Bucks. if they had Chris Milton, they would be in the Celtics in the second round. That's just a fact. Um, I think the Bucks are going to be better. I don't know what's going to happen in the Nets. 
Kyrie is just a head case of epic proportions. Is he going to go to the Knicks? Is he going to go to the Lakers? I think if Kyrie leaves, Durant leaves, and that's going to open up a whole can of worms. Um, the Sixers, it looks like James Harden's going to stay. Um, Joel Embiid, that team will be formidable as well. The Miami Heat are always kind of under the radar. I think they'll be good again. Um, it's really they don't have that much time left with that core. Um, Butler's thirty three, I believe. Kyle Lowry's thirty six. So they've kind of need get something going here. If you're the um, Miami Heat, I think the Bulls um, are poised to kind of do something here. The Hawks should have a bounce back here. So the East isn't going to be easy. But the dominoes that do need to fall in the East are Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and then Zach Levine. And that Zach Levine uh, with the Bulls, I think he's probably going to end up back in Chicago. But... This is going to be a very interesting offseason for the Boston Celtics, especially if some guys are put on the trade market as well. DeAndre Ayton um, is a restricted free agent. Um, the Hornets should be better, although Miles Bridges is a restricted free agent as well. Some people think the Pistons could go after him. Um, Rudy Gobert is probably going to get traded. Um, I think if if Danny Ainge decides to trade one of them, I think it's probably going to be... Um, Rudy Gobert over Mitchell, but you look at th- this was probably the Celtics' best chance here, um, in a while. The Warriors were hurt; they're getting older. Um, Thompson hasn't played in a while; he just came back in December. Um, Tatum, Brown, new coach—it just kind of felt like their year a little bit, and and they just didn't deliver on that. I mean. I already talked about the East, but you also have to look in the West. The Warriors will be back. Um, I don't. I have no idea what's going to go on with the Lakers. Um, if they're going to trade Russell Westbrook, if they're going to keep him, if they're going to trade Russell Westbrook for Kyrie Irving, I I, I legitimately have no idea what the Lakers are going to do. Um, I think they might have to end up staying put with the roster that they have and hope that um, an extra year helps this team, but. Their Los Angeles counterparts, I think the Clippers are going to be really, really good. People are going to sleep on them. Um, the Suns should be back, depending on what happens with Aiton. He's a big part of what they do as well. But they were 60, I believe they won 63 um, games this season. So don't sleep on them as well. The Dallas Mavericks, some people said that they could make a play on Kevin Durant if Kyrie leaves. It seems... Um, it seems like the Mavericks are going to try and do something big here. I think they're going to end up losing Jalen Brunson to probably the New York Knicks. So I think they're getting poised. It just feels like they're going to do something as well. And then you look at the team like the Grizzlies with John Morant. Um, I think they were kind of like the Hawks of the West last year where they kind of had a good run. Um, I don't think they're as good. They play better than the sum of their parts. So we have to see what happens there, but... This was a big, big year for the Boston Celtics. Both, although it was a failed chance, and it may be their best chance for a while, this was a very, very successful year if you're a Boston Celtics fan. And I'm I'm, I'm excited and I'm encouraged by the direction of this team, where it's going to go. I think this offseason is a big year for them. Um, I, I'm interested to see what they're going to do. Stevens has already been more prone to trading draft picks than Danny Ainge was. He traded a first-rounder for Al Horford along with Kemba Walker, and he also traded a first-rounder 
for um, Derek White. So, very interesting offseason coming up for the Boston Celtics. But that will do it for our Celtics coverage for um, a little bit here as we want to get into the Boston Bruins. And then next week, it's probably going to be a little Red Sox related. We haven't talked much baseball. Um, we'll maybe throw in some golf there with the PJ Tour and the LIV Golf Series. Um, we'll talk about that next week as well. But hang over to the Boston Bruins. So some big news that dropped Thursday night. Patrice Bergeron is likely to come back on a one-year deal. Now, for me, that personally rules out the chance that the Bruins are going to launch a full-scale rebuild. Um, I think that a guy like Bergeron, I think this could be his last year. I don't think he's going to sign up for a rebuild. And I don't think the Bruins would be willing to do that. However, the Bruins are going to have some uphill sledding here. They've got Marchand out until Thanksgiving. Um, Matt Grizzlick out for the start of the year, which hurts them for trade bait. Um, you've also got um, Charlie McAvoy out until December, their best defenseman, a person who finished fourth in the Norris Trophy voting um, just a couple days ago, which is awarded annually to the top defense, the top um, all-around defenseman in the National Hockey League. So this is going to be a rough year for the Boston Bruins, I think. I think um, th- I think this rules training Pasternak out of the question. They're not going to trade David Pasternak when they have Bergeron coming back in the fold when you're already going to be losing Marshan. I know people want Krejci to come back, um, anchor that second line. I don't know if that's going to happen. The return of Bergeron certainly helps. But... This championship window for the Boston Bruins, this Bergeron, Marchand, um, to a lesser extent, Tuka, Zidane, Chara window is closed. It's officially closed here. Um, The next championship window looks like it's going to be anchored by guys if they don't trade him, but guys like Pasternak, guys like McAvoy, Lindholm, um, Jeremy Swayman, and that those look like your core four guys kind of right now. Taylor Hall as well. Um, But this is a... This is going to be a very, very interesting offseason for the Boston Bruins, especially since they fired Bruce Cassidy. I, I personally don't like that move. I thought they should have uh, fired Don Sweeney and kept Bruce Cassidy. I'm not a big fan of that move, but they've got big coaching search. Are they going to go with an established coach um, like David Quinn and signal more of a win-now thing? I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand that because I think part of the reason why they didn't retain Bruce Cassidy was they he they think he had a connection issue with younger players. I think that's bogus to be honest. Are they gonna go with a guy like Jay Leach who coached the Providence Bruins who is currently with the Seattle Kraken? I don't know. It's gonna be a very, very interesting offseason for the Boston Bruins and we will be here to cover every single minute of it. But guys, that will do it for me today. Guys, as always, thank you for listening. Visit from ballparks to buzzerbeers.com. Our Instagram is there. Our Twitter is there. Our email is there. If you want to email us feedback, positive or negative, um, segment ideas, if you even want to get on the show, I'm sure we can work something out. Um, anything at all, guys, please don't hesitate to reach out. As always, guys, thank you for listening. I'm signing off. I'm Perry Mortinos, and have a good one, everybody.